It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That created stocks with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a fatigue, listen to yourself, the world, but there's no need to be in your own head. Beat it up and I repeat, got no sleep, the ladder, put the platter with the fear, fight down, like fire in the fire, with the system of the gang, the government for hiring the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, leave the jury, it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. It's the end of the world as we know it, or... Is it? No, it's not. Ah, but At least this, not yet. <laughs> but this is the hour of doom. And bloom. Hey, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a time of triumph in a terrible world. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find close to 700 articles, videos, podcasts, all sorts of stuff on medical preparedness for any disaster. I'm a grand old man with a brand new plan, and that's to put a medically prepared person in every family for any disaster. I am Amy Alton. I am a certified nurse midwife and an advanced registered nurse practitioner, and I'm also known as Nurse Amy. And the hostess with the mostess, a very <laughs> definition of shock and awe. Awe. Some. <laughs> awesome. Aww. That's right. Together we are the watchers on the wall, and we watch it all for you to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with a cantankerous koala? Our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Ah, but we're here to help if it isn't. What's the stuff, Cream Puff? You know, we learn as much from you as you do from us. So connect with us. It's easy. Here's Nurse Amy to tell you how. Well, you can email us anytime at drbonespodcast at aol.com. Believe it or not, yes, aol.com still exists. Oh, boy, we are old. <laughs> are we old or what? Oh, let's call us... Ye- young at y- heart. The young old. Young at heart, young at heart. <laughs> or find us on our Facebook group at Survival Medicine Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Yes, that would be facebook.com forward slash all of that. Or we have a couple pages, Doom and Bloom. And Dr. Nurse, Dr. Bones and Nurse, Nurse Amy. Amy. Right. You can follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. 
And don't forget our YouTube channel. I think we're up to 107 videos and a new wow. one is put up today. Wow. I'm going to record one today but, too. Ha ha. Uh, uh -huh. The newest is the truth. Uh, let's see. The truth about fish antibiotics in survival. That's right. We'll talk about that later in the show. Absolutely. So anyway, the channel is Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And don't forget our video cast where you can actually watch us live. And there is an awesome chat room if you sign in. Doesn't yeah, ask questions, sure. Doesn't take much effort to sign in, folks. And guess what? At the end of the every show education, mm -hmm. you might win a prize. So mm. don't sit out there watching it. Join our chat room. We would love to talk to you. And by the way, while we are live, you can ask the questions. And I'm monitoring the chat room. And I will ask Dr. Bones the important question, or I'll answer it. You can answer it. You know. Sometimes it's lots for me. Stuff. Sometimes it's for you. That's right. But the interaction's awesome, and we could chat together while you're talking. So everyone, join us at AroundTheCabin.com, and that is the first and third Wednesday of every month. Although I am not sure if we're going to be able to put one on. The first Wednesday of August because we're flying to Buffalo, New York and driving across the border into Ontario, Canada at Niagara Falls. Right. Well, and why are we doing this, honey? We are going to be speaking at the Survival Expo, one of the first that's ever been held in Canada. And we are just thrilled to meet our friends from the north. Yes, it'll and, be interesting. Right, and <laughs> it would be very interesting. We haven't never been, I've never been in Canada. And I've never seen Niagara Falls. I'm oh. very, very excited. Well, there you go. Yes. Um, do you want me to mention some other places we're going to be? Yeah, why not? Okay, so that's August 8th and 9th, that weekend. Uh, we won't be bringing a lot of medical supplies because they got to go into Canada and there's that border thing. But we're going to bring lots of books and DVDs and some samples of medical kits. But we will be there and again, we'll be speaking. You're going to do the Survival Medic on Saturday, and I'm going to do Survival Medical Supplies on Sunday. Then we were going to be off to Denver, Self-Reliance Expo, on August 22nd, which is a one-day event. It's from 9 to 7 p.m., but a special thing will happen. At 4 o'clock, we're going to do a wound care class. Oh, good, yeah. Which includes suturing and stapling. For folks who haven't heard about that, it's a hands-on class. We have pig's feet. You will actually learn how to do this. And we monitor the small class very carefully. And you get some free gifts. August 28th and 9th, which is a two-day show, we're going to try something new. We're going to the RK Prepper and Gun Show in Lawrenceville, Georgia, near Atlanta. Near Atlanta. Not yes. too far from Atlanta. And on uh, Saturday, you'll be speaking. You're going to do a, a nice little talk and Sunday morning at 10 a.m. we're going to teach that wound care suture staple class so if you live anywhere near Atlanta or Lawrenceville Georgia we encourage you to go on to doomandbloom.net go to the medical classes page and I have a link for all the suture classes we are doing so far for the rest of the year up to and including a show on October 10th and 11th 
And that's in Louisville, that Kentucky. That one's in Louisville, Kentucky. And we'll be also be in Houston, Texas. October 3rd. We so, got a busy October and a busy August. Yep, so it's the summer is jumping for us. And we hope, hope that we get to meet lots of our friends, our readers, our listeners. Yes. And uh, it's we It's always hope, great to talk to people yes. at these shows. In fact, why don't we spend a minute talking about Virginia? Oh, yes. We were in Hampton, Virginia, which yes. was great. It was actually very, very interesting because... Uh, I was surprised to find that we have a lot of listeners and readers from the military. And, and they... The Navy is amazing yes, there. Every right. single person was so kind, so nice. I mean, we've been to a lot of friendly areas. Yes. We, we have been... You There are just certain areas. You walk into a grocery store. Everyone's like, hi, how are you doing? You check out. The, the person who's checking you out acts like they're your best friend. And it's so friendly and sweet. Completely unlike South Florida. <laughs> uh, well, I might add, it is well. a refreshing change. I love it. But the folks in Virginia, people who were just walking by, would say, Hi, how are you doing? Just incredible reception. The, the people around there, I don't know what it is, folks, but you are so polite and so nice. In fact, I told my daughter, who's in college right now, that if she has a chance when she ends up graduating in a few years from her master's program, that she should try to get a job in Virginia because the folks are just yep. so nice. I just told her that about an hour ago. How about that? So yep. I really mean it. <laughs> I really do. I guess, well, I guess you do. But the show was um, actually pretty busy. It was next to a gun show. It was separate uh, by a wall. People actually had to walk outside of the gun show and come into the prepper show which a lot of times that doesn't work out. People just walk out and go out to their cars. We got a lot of people overflow from the gun show and people who just strictly came there for yeah, who the knew prepper us. show. And who knew us. And who, right, and who pretty, knew us. So which was pretty awesome. And by the very way. Very incredible. And thanks to every service member who, or veteran who listens to our show or watches our videos yep. or reads our articles uh, we thank you for your service service to our country thank and you so we much. have I the would, highest respect just, for you you just took the words out of my there mouth there you go i was just going to say that <laughs> and you know um not um we're, we're just laughing for a second but right now i want to be just totally serious i'm really sorry for the navy and their sadness Marines, and what they had yes. the the marines that they had to deal with um, at that recruiting office, um, I can't think of anything more horrible. Um, these folks are just doing their job. They're honoring our country, and they're dedicated. And it's just, um, it's really sad, and we haven't had a chance to talk about right. that. Well, our prayers and go out to the families. Just want to say we're really sorry. Marines for, and Navy exactly. personnel that were exactly our our hearts are with you. That's right. You know, I recently received a communication from a paramedic who asked what I keep in terms of silver and gold for barter purposes in a collapse. Well, you know, in a true collapse, having some of this stuff on hand would be very useful, but only really, I think, in the early stages when people don't yet realize that money, quote-unquote, may be worthless in terms of your chances for long-term survival. I mean, food, items for defense, medical supplies... I don't think you could be more right about that, honey. That's right. Absolutely. Over time, they become the most valuable surplus items that you can have for successful trading yep. and bartering. Now, food's gotten to be in short supply, especially in urban environments once grocery stores are empty. Few have the knowledge 
to grow food on their own. And, you know, gardening, I'll tell you, has a learning curve. (laughs) And it's subject to the whims of the weather, uh, the amount of rainfall, storms, extremes in temperature, soil conditions, and pests also are factors. I mean, depending on where you live. Exactly. And think about what we have growing now in our yard. Just, Just us, as a matter of fact, we have grass. And the soil underneath that grass is lacking in nutrients. It's really just a small amount of soil that they throw over the fill. Right. They fill this area up with sand and gravel. Right. It's called marl. So we right. So we don't flood when we get an inch of rain because we're just barely That's above right. the water table here. That's exactly exactly right. And, you know we have terrible conditions, but you know there are other reasons why other people in communities and like you said, especially urban areas, will have problems growing food. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. Without sprinklers, without regular rain. You've been talking about droughts, sure. the horrible droughts. If you live in one of those areas that may have in the past had some annual rainfall, something you could count on, maybe you needed to supplement a little bit of watering, but now it's just dried up and there are water restrictions, although we won't have to worry about water restrictions if the grid goes down because there will be no water coming out of your faucet. But if you can't count on the rain falling from the sky... Or have some water source like a lake or river or creek, a spring, something pretty close to your house that you can at least transport or find some system to to get it to your house, um, you're in deep trouble. Sure, the amount of rain is like uh, what Forrest Gump says. Uh, it's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. That's right. <laughs> that's, and, you know, although... That's true. Although we've been through the Master Gardener training in our state, we still have failures when we try to grow certain crops. I mean, it is... So frustrating. Sometimes it's a crapshoot. Now, of course, once people know that you have surplus food, let's say you're successful, surplus Mm -hmm. food to trade or you have accumulated... It's hard to hide your crops. That's right. Items for defense are going to be very important for protection. It's hard to believe that the desperate or unscrupulous in this world aren't going to make you a target in times of trouble. You're so right about so that. So those would be good barter items too. I mean, mm-hmm. whatever materials though you have for home defense, make sure you know how to use them safely and practice with them regularly. A gun in the hands of the inexperienced, mm-hmm. well, you know, that might be a danger to themselves as well as a danger for those who wish them harm. Exactly. Make that a, a weekend activity. You don't necessarily have to take your small children. We're talking about adults here. People old enough to understand the safety measures at um, a shooting range. Right. But but do it regularly. Right. And that, if you're, that is great advice, honey. If you're going to bring your kids, concentrate on safety, safety, safety. That's the most important thing for them to know how to handle weapons safely. And not to touch them. So anyhow... <laughs> Medical knowledge and the uh, supplies, these are things that eventually, vital, in my opinion at least, are going to be some of the most valuable items that you need to accumulate in quantity for barter purposes. That's right. Now, I mean, for your own use and for barter purposes. You can make a wound with a weapon, but few people are going to know how to heal a wound or have the things necessary for that purpose, having bandages, uh, antibiotics, blood clotting products, other medical materials are going to give you purchasing power. Yeah, That's and, not right. only, and not only that, but if you have some serious injuries that you're taking care of, let's say you are the medic and you did get a lot of stuff, 
it still is eventually going to run out. People don't realize how much gauze you use up just for one wound, especially if it's open. Think about all the gauze you've got to change twice a day. You've got to use tapes. You've got to use antiseptics. I mean, you can run through this stuff pretty quickly. That's why we always say you can never have too many medical supplies in your survival storage. Amen. Never, ever, ever. Amen, brother. <laughs> now, I want people not to forget the value of medical knowledge, of your medical knowledge yep. as a trade item. Not everyone knows how to stop bleeding or deal with orthopedic injuries, uh, perform long-term wound care, treat infections, things like that. If you are the medic, your services have a value. Yep. Now, what do you think that value would be in circumstances where a family has a child that's sick or a loved one that's injured? Well, to me, this is a compelling argument for taking the time and effort needed to learn these skills even in normal times. Now, that doesn't mean you should expect something in return every time you help somebody in medical need. The value of goodwill in a survival community, man, that is not to be underestimated. That is so important. However, grateful parents, if they're able, they might want to reward you in some way for saving a child's life. And this may increase the chances of your own family's survival. Well, I think that really speaks to a sense of community, that if something terrible happens, that we can't all just be out for ourselves. You have to have a sense of, what does my neighbor need? Is the elderly lady down the street, is she still okay? We all are going to have to look out for each other. And that means giving of yourself without necessarily expecting something back. And if you're like that, you know what? Your services, if you have some skills, if you have supplies, they may become so valuable that you're going to be such an asset to the community that your community is going to make a priority to protect you. So, Good point. That is something that's yep, important. Good point. So, and by the way, there's a lot of valued skills. We're not just talking about medical. There's so many things that people can learn, and they are learning, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are practicing. Sure, carpentry. Oh, I mean, it's just my one. gosh. Uh, people who know how to dig wells for water and install pumps. Oh canning. My, how amazing. Canning, dehydrating, hunting, right. trapping, fishing, how to how to fix gadgets. How to dig a latrine. How, I mean, just how All to build shelter. I mean, just right. amazing. Start fires. <laughs> yeah. Well, not in your shelter, though. Not <laughs> in your shelter, right. Not inside. Although, you That's know right. what? When we were in Virginia, right, the, we saw the Indian the camps, Native American camps. That was from around, what, 1600? Yeah, 1607. Jamestown in Jamestown, is where we visited. Yeah. And they let's, had let's a, talk about Jamestown for a second. And they had a uh, huts that set, the Indians like setup, put together. Right. They, right. And uh, had a hole on yes. the top, you know, like a teepee in a sense, although they were really sort of rounded, sort of oblong-looking things. Mm-hmm. And uh, people would put their campfire in the middle of the... Uh, inside hut. the tent right inside sure. tent hut whatever you want to call it all right well, i mean i'm sure so winters get fires inside yeah. <laughs> but you get have cold. to be careful <laughs> that, that's right that's right well so food water and shelter these are the important things to have if things go south but medical supplies and the knowledge of how to use them that's a strong second in my opinion absolutely uh, an understanding of what plants in your area like the Native Americans knew, may have medicinal value. That is also going to help, I think. You know, pharmaceuticals are just going to run out at one point or another in a long-term survival setting. Well, again, going back to Jamestown, when we um, were at the Indian setup, it's sort of a, a, a historic view of what it looked like back then. Remember the food? Right. They had echinacea. 
All Do you right. remember that? Right by the corn. Right, right. And then when we walked around to the fort, the recreation of the fort of Jamestown, <coughs> excuse me, they had an herbal, besides corn, they had an herbal garden mm-hmm. that had all kinds of uh, medicinal herbs. All so right. even back then, folks, you know, you traveled to an, a new part of the world where you didn't know what was going on. They brought seeds and they brought plants with them. So they could cultivate medicine. Absolutely. Very important part of that fort was having some medicine. Now, the interesting thing about them is that uh, tobacco was one of their cash crops. And the funny thing is I thought that tobacco was from the local area, but it was actually imported from the Caribbean because apparently it smoked smoother, uh, I guess. But uh, don't smoke. But believe it or not, I'll bet that would be a, a good barter item too in times of trouble. The bottom line is that I strongly encourage you to become a medical resource by learning skills that might save a life in dark times, or even today. You'll benefit your family, your community, and you'll greatly increase the chance that you'll succeed, even if everything else fails. You got it, honey. Hey, are you ready to deal with medical issues in times of trouble? Get a copy of our Amazon bestseller, The Survival Medicine Handbook, and you'll get a head start in any disaster or epidemic. You've got all sorts of important tips that'll help you keep your family healthy. And it's all in, guess what, plain English. How about that? So put old Dr. Bones and the lovely Nurse Amy in your survival library. Head over to Amazon.com or get a personally autographed copy by going to our website at doomandbloom.net. And if you love your Kindle almost as much as your collection of Walking Dead CDs, the DVDs, <laughs> or rather. Miniatures. Yeah, or miniatures. I don't miniatures know, they have miniatures Action now? figures, probably. <laughs> well, you can find our book on Amazon in digital version as well. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you bought the second edition of the Survival Medicine Handbook from Amazon, you can get a Kindle copy for 2 bucks and 99 cents through its matchbook program. Check it out in 230 five-star reviews at Amazon.com. Let's see what we've got. What do I have next? Oh, you know what? You got lots Let's of talk stuff a to bit. talk about. Yeah, that's right. You know, there have been a, a lot of recent reports about shootings. We talked uh, about oh, one of them a second gosh. ago. Yeah, uh, there was a shooting in a theater a while ago. They just sentenced the guy who Crazy shot people. people up in a theater in Colorado a while ago. And you know what? It's a good idea to know how to deal with a gunshot wound victim. There are over 100,000 firearms-related injuries treated in emergency rooms every year in the United States. Of course, in normal times, call emergency services, get that person to a modern medical facility, but what about times of trouble when you cannot access modern medicine? You know, in situations without rule of law, you can expect civil unrest, leading to cases of ballistic trauma. Rapid action is necessary to increase the survivability of these cases, and we're gonna talk about how to prevent avoidable deaths due to bleeding from bullet wounds in austere environments. Now, gunshot wounds cause a great deal of damage, though due mostly to the speed at which the projectile strikes the bullet. I have an excellent uh, article, if I may say so myself, <laughs> on the basics of ballistic trauma that talks about there's actually a, a formula in which the energy delivered by a bullet to an object is has a formula. It's the mass of the bullet times the velocity of the bullet squared and divided by two. So that means that whatever the mass is, is the mass. But the velocity, you square that, if you start talking about something going at 600, 1200 
feet per second, you're talking about a lot, a lot of energy. In any active shooter situation, the first thing you need to do is to avoid becoming the next victim. The medic has to put their own safety as a priority until whatever the threat is has been clearly abolished. I mean, let's face it, there's a guy with a gun out there. Uh-oh. That's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. If you're the medical resource for a family or group, man, you do them a, a disservice in this situation by not being cautious. But once you've established that it's safe to approach the scene, you've got to take a look and you have to determine a number of victims. If there are multiple casualties, then you have to triage as you would in a mass casualty incident. Uh, now, oh, by the way, we have a great series, another, also, in my opinion. <laughs> it's true. No, it's, it is very well written. Right. If you want a common sense strategy for mass casualty incidents, go to our series of articles on the subject. You'll find it on the website. There's a search engine on the upper right sidebar. Just click in mass casualty incident. You'll see our, our series. And also, uh, just so people understand, mass casualty incidents Usually your method is called triage. I think that might be something Which that means to sort. That people, right. This French word to French, sort. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I think that might strike a, a light bulb or turn a light bulb on. Mass, mass casualty incidents is really sort of a paramedic, police officer, you know, federal agency, doctor. In normal times it is. No, I'm In just, normal times it is, but I'm in... Just, I'm, I'm just talking about the terminology. Right. I'm just saying it might not be something that everyone's heard of, but they've probably heard of triage. Right. right. You do get the uh, you do get the idea. Now, with a single mm. victim, the initial assessment usually involves the mnemonic A B C D E. A is the airway open. B is the patient breathing through that airway. <laughs> Circulation is the patient bleeding. Disability. Can the victim feel and move their extremities? Can they respond appropriately to questions? And expose. Can you see, can you expose and see the full extent of the injury or injuries? This is not always so clear because bullets don't necessarily travel in a straight line. Once they hit you, once they hit you, they can deviate, fragment, they can do all sorts of stuff. Now, this ABCDE seg uh, sequence changes in the actively bleeding gunshot wound victim to C-A-B-D-E, that circulation first is a patient bleeding because in this circumstance, the cause of death is much more often hemorrhage and you have to abate it quickly. Now, the determination of airway and breathing, by the way, can often be done simultaneously with bleeding control. I mean, just simply by saying, are you okay? If the person says, I've been shot, that means that they're breathing because they're able to to talk and they're also conscious so that's another another thing now to stop bleeding you have to apply direct pressure on the cut or wound with gloves preferably and a cloth or gauze barrier until bleeding stops now you may remove loose debris but don't remove or apply pressure directly to any embedded objects they could be blocking further bleeding you do not want to fiddle with them now pack dressings around the object to keep it in place if it's embedded if you're on your own for the long term, well, it's different than if you have modern medical facilities. If you have modern medical facilities, just do that and do not remove the object. If you're on your own at one point or another, it's going to be you that removes it. So get that person to where the bulk of your medical supplies are. Now, if blood soaks through the barrier that you've placed on it and applied pressure, do not remove it. Put more cloth or gauze on top of it and continue to apply pressure. I think this is really important to emphasize. 
You want to. It's human curiosity. To, to look. You want to pick up that gauze and look underneath there and see if it's still bleeding. Do not do this. I, I'm seriously, seriously emphasizing this is 100% wrong. Do not look. If you see it soaking through, add more gauze. Continue the pressure. Pile it on. Do not remove it and replace it. Right. What you might do by lifting that gauze up, if there is a piece of the blood clot that has formed to stop the bleeding, You're pulling you it out. might be right. yanking out the one thing in the entire world that is keeping that person from dying. Do not remove the gauze. Absolutely. Good good advice. That's something important. And, and honestly, if your dressing is not working, then everything you put on top of it is going to soak through, soak through, soak through. It'll right. be clear you're not, it, the pressure itself isn't alone. Now, if the wound is on the <clears throat> arm and leg, or leg, uh, raise the limb above the level of the heart, and that helps it slow its bleeding. In other words, make the heart work harder to pump blood out of the body. And so that, I think, is very important. Now, Gravity you can, is your friend. Right. Now, lifting your legs... <laughs> Uh, above the level of heart is, is certainly not a bad idea, except that if you have a wound in the torso, that actually might increase the amount of bleeding. Now, this is sort of a conundrum because people may be going to shock. You're supposed to put them in the shock position. The shock position puts the legs 12 inches above the level of the heart. But if you're having an actual bleed into the belly or in the chest, then actually you might make it worse. Well, that actually makes perfect sense if, if someone's listening and they they don't know a lot about of anat anatomy and physiology if you think about it it's like putting a car at the top of a hill when you make that hill very high the car comes down the hill well, that's what's happening with your blood if you lift the legs up now the blood is all moving down to the torso where's it going to go if there's a hole in the torso out of the hole right it, it, otherwise though if it's <laughs> not the case then what you are doing is you are allowing more circulation to the body core if the body core hasn't been compromised yes now pressure points might be good items to know uh, they can be compressed to decrease bleeding these are areas where a large blood vessel runs near the surface and uh, above the level of the bleeding wound and a compressing it might actually slow down hemorrhage below the level of the compression now there are specific pressure points that correspond to areas of bleeding injury for example if you apply pressure behind the knee then you might be able to slow down bleeding to the calf or to the foot the lower the leg ankle, exactly and because you have a major vessel called <clears throat> a popliteal artery that runs along the back of the calf mm -hmm. i mean a back of the knee of yep. the knee now this is good to know but unless you know the map of where these blood vessels are. You can't just are, randomly start pushing not, on someone's right, knee and think that right. you're going to be able to do They're only useful if you know understand the map. So exactly. a little learning is a good thing. Maybe a lot of learning is a better thing. So <laughs> Good points. Now, remember you want to expose a patient. You want to make sure you can see where the wounds are. you got to inspect them for exit now, and other wounds. Now, by expose, you mean cut off the clothes. That's right, exactly. Uh, these wounds could be, as I mentioned, in unusual locations. Uh, bullets don't always go straight through. They may deviate. They may fragment. I think and, that's what that whole theory in the Ken Kennedy shooting was supposed right, to be. Right, all sorts of, wow. Right angles, yeah, 880 all sorts of, degree angles. All sorts of kooky, kooky yeah. things. Well, I'm, I'm not claiming that it'll do that, but it will 
move. <laughs> right. An exit wound, by the way, is often larger than the entry wound because you have a lot of cavitation and other things that we talk about in my article in ballistic wounds that may come into play and as well as fact fragmentation so it's not always the case but don't be surprised check if the that's back the case. people that's right you can when you're doing an assessment of someone who's been injured head to toe and the entire back head to toe now you're doing this at the same time you're trying to stop the bleeding yep so make sure that you know get sometimes your hands the, all over that right. patient and check sometimes the most bleeding could be coming from the exit from the back on the exactly back of the and the blood seeps from behind the person you say wow didn't know they had a wound back there you got to check that patient quickly and find out where all the injuries are asap now compression dressings may be helpful use uh, use and useful items uh this is the Israeli battle dressing is one of them. It's called the emergency bandage in the U.S. And it could be needed to stop very heavy bleeding. It's meant to provide constant pressure to a wound. In some cases, it's going to be pretty clear that a tourniquet may be the first action that could be taken, although many sources recommend it only as a last resort. This is changing somewhat, though. Tourniquet should be placed two inches above the level of the bleeding wound, but just below the shoulder or buttock. Avoid joint areas, tighten until the pulse uh, below the wound is absent, so you have to know where the pulses are in the arm you want to check uh, on the wrist, near the thumb, and of course other areas, it's different. Now you tighten your tourniquet. If one tourniquet fails to stop the bleeding, use the second one a couple of inches above the level above, of the first. Close, right. And when we, by above, we mean closer to the heart. Right, exactly. Is what we mean. Closer to the body core. And, you, and mark the time, by the way, that it was placed on the forehead for later reference. It gives you a good idea on how long it's been there. That also helps paramedics, and if there is modern medical care, that's important. Of course, arterial bleeding is bright red, and it pulses... Uh, along with the wound uh along with venous, the pulse right along with the pulse i'm sorry like pump and, pump right. pump pump and venous bleeding is dark red blood and it drains sort of steadily from the wound and clearly now, it's easier to stop venous blood because you don't have the pressure behind it arterial blood has freshly come from the heart and there's a lot of pressure behind it venous blood is slower to return to the heart it's not going to pour out of the wound quite as quickly that's right now, of course, hemostatic agent, blood clotting agents such as Celox, Quick Clot, Kytogauze, these may be useful things for you to use, uh, to have to stop bleeding quickly in active hemorrhages. These dressings are usually impregnated with substances that will help clotting. Now, they may be difficult to clean out later, but they may save a life. Now, with bullets, now, of course, if you go to the hospital, you go to the operating room, they'll try to remove the bullet, but in Austere settings do not try to remove the bullet unless it's right there and not pressing on anything that could be bleeding. It could be deeply embedded, it could be fragmented, and it could easily be something that will cause more bleeding if you try to remove it. Almost like taking a cork right. out. Exactly. If you take the cork out, you could cause more problems. Exactly. Now, cover the patient with a blanket to help stop the loss of body heat. That's a common consequence of shock from gunshot wounds, immobilize a wound in the extremities because that may help prevent bleeding from getting worse or exactly. from coming back if you manage to stop it. You don't want the person walking around in circles. <laughs> now expect these wounds to be dirty, clothes, other debris, 
All that stuff has been pushed into the wound by the bullet, and you might consider antibiotics. Skin, back, skin bacteria has been pushed in there. That's right. On Could the we... outside of your skin, it's okay. But if you have a lot of dirt on you, if you haven't bathed in a while, even if you have bathed in a while, you will never get rid of all the bacteria that exists on our skin. It's just there. It will be pushed into the wound. Absolutely. And it's not good inside of our bodies. Exactly. Now, due to the extreme damage that can occur in a gunshot injury, your off-grid success using these strategies, they're going to be variable. It should be noted some bleeding wounds will respond to compression. Some won't. For example, a wound in the chest or the abdomen. Just by pressing on it, you're probably not going to stop the bleeding. It'll just bleed internally. Now, surgery is usually required in these cases, which means that you can expect high death rates with these types of injuries in survival settings. Indeed, during the Civil War, chest and abdominal wounds carried death rates of 60 or 70 percent or more. Now, the location of the wound is going to require probably adjustment of some of the recommendations that I'm giving. And in future shows, we're going to discuss specifics regarding different sites of injuries, needed medical supplies, uh, how blood clots and more. Actually, I think you have information on medical supplies. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, you've I... got actually a pretty awesome blood gunshot <laughs> kit, as a matter of fact. I, I think it's pretty good. Um, some things that you would uh, want to have would be of course some sort of scissors your safest ones are going to be the bandage scissors because they have a blunt side and you are not going to poke and injure the patient as you are cutting off the clothes remember we said you have to expose the patient you have to see what's going on so you need scissors you're going to be touching this patient your hands are dirty they have an open wound I don't care if you get blood on your hands, if you don't have a cut, you are not going to have an issue with someone else's blood on your hands. However, if you stick your hand in someone else's open wound without gloves, you are going to cause them a potential infection. So you need to protect the patient. You need gloves, tons of dressings. Remember, you put your gloves on, you do compression. What are you using for compression? Hopefully some gauze. If not, Anything, a sheet, uh, a shirt, a sock, I don't care if it's a pair of dirty underwear, a pair of jeans that you've cut off the patient, anything, compression between your hands and the wound. But dressings would be super awesome. You can have four by fours, there's roller gauze, there's ABD pads. So there's your compression. That's not working. What did Dr. Bones tell you to do? Use a cat or a soft tea tourniquet. Those are a couple of them. There's also a new one called Rats. Right. Which is uh, very stretchy, and you wind it around a few times, whereas the cat and the soft tea are are wider, and you just have one uh, yes. wrap right. and tightening. Um, there's more, but those are a few of the most common ones. Um, if those aren't working, you might use the pressure dressing also. Israeli battle dressing, you need emergency dressings. Uh, you want to get some hemostatic agents. Those are the quick clot or the Sealox. I like Sealox better because when you are finished with it, it washes out very right. easily. And I heard that the military may be considering going to Sealox instead of yes, their that's current their, box. That is what they're going towards, absolutely. Um, if you have a chest injury that has not killed the patient instantly, which means it probably pierced the heart 
or a major blood vessel, you might want to consider having chest seals. A couple of those brand names are Hyphen, which will come in a two-pack. So if you've got an entry wound and an exit wound, you've got both sides so that you don't get a pneumothorax, fill up the lung with air right. in the lining, it compresses the lung, it cannot expand, and they actually can suffocate. Fox seal, halo, Fox there are a number another, of different types. Halo. <clears throat> So those are some of the, you know, really trauma, emergency, immediate things you'll need. Now, after you've been able to stop the bleeding, you're going to want to clean it out, a 60cc syringe or a 100cc irrigation syringe, or a Ziploc bag with a little hole in it, a water bottle that has not been um, drank out of, so it doesn't have mouth bacteria with a little hole in it, anything to give a lot of pressure. You're going to need some potable water, means something you can drink that doesn't get people sick, you can use to irrigate uh, a headlamp. Guess what? Half the day is nighttime. That's right. When are people probably going to try, try to raid your stuff if it's that kind of situation? Probably going to do it at night. Yeah, you need a light source. Under the cover of darkness. So you need a good headlamp, preferably a headlamp, not a flashlight, because that's going to make you or someone else have to hold it. Uh, to check the patient. Right. So a the, headlamp is important. The purpose of the headlamp is to give you both hands. Hands free. Right. That's right. You want your hands to be able to... Remember I said you're going to have to check this patient for their entire body, front and back. Antiseptics for cleaning. After you've irrigated it with some potable water, uh, you might want to use uh, some betadine, maybe some uh, hydrogen peroxide. Then you're going to want to put in some... Uh, triple antibiotic ointment, or some raw and processed honey. Remember, we're trying to prevent infection here. And this person is going to need antibiotics. And that's where those um, storage antibiotics come into play, possibly fish antibiotics if you have been listening to yeah. our shows no, and our videos and reading our articles and our book. Get them now because... I think changes are coming, and it's going to be much harder to get them. I'll be talking about that in just a minute. <clears throat> and did I mention some tape? I think I then then you're going to need sterile gauze, and you're going to need tape for the final covering of the wound. You're going to need to protect it. You might want to use some roller gauze to hold uh, the outer sterile gauze onto the wound. Tape being pulled off and put on at least twice a day um, could be very irritating. So Coban, uh, an ACE wrap, something to hold on the sterile gauze uh, without injuring the skin around the wound. Very good. Excellent. That's... Clean it up. Change the dressing twice a day. Well, I think that if people have all the things that you mentioned on in this thing or have a, one of your gunshot wound kits, I mean, I think they'll have most everything that they need oh uh, one more thing a mylar blanket or i mean if you have a, a wool blanket that's great but mylars are very tiny they're very space conservative a couple yes. inches wide maybe a half an inch quarter inch. right and they go out to 52 by 80 inches something like that yeah, yeah. very large uh, that is what we we're talking about when you're trying to help prevent shock covering the patient uh is a is an excellent thing to do all right. Wow. That was awesome. It's a lot of stuff. I think that's good. You know, one thing that you mentioned uh, towards the end was antibiotics. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you know that we've talked about putting together a 
reasonable supply and doing and all everything we talk about and is medicines. You right. gotta have some medicines. Folks. Everything right. Everything that we talk about is meant to prevent the avoidable deaths that might occur in times of trouble. And I don't think that there's any cause of death that would be could be more avoidable than that of infections. Uh, first off, preventing infections by using hand protection and uh, eye protection, bathing, <laughs> wearing, practicing good, good hygiene, boots, wearing right. a good pair of jeans, exactly, not touching um, pans that are hot or, or playing with fires, being careful when you're chopping trees or butchering animals, right, things like that. And I was really saddened recently when I read an article from uh, another site that calls itself a, a survival medicine site that warned people about the risks associated with fish antibiotics. So uh, I was the first physician to write about considering fish antibiotics. They've been around for a long time, though. And, I mean, certainly in normal times, you should always consult your doctor prior to using any medication. Absolutely, and we have said that a million times, folks. We are not about self-help. We're not telling you to avoid your doctor. In normal times. Right now. Right. Because... That's the way the system is. We have a modern exactly. medical system. But our Utilize focus, it. However, I write there could about, be. I write about That's disasters right. and survival settings. That's right. Where there are no doctors, where there are no hospitals available. Right. So we have to figure out, I mean, my job and your job, Amy, is yep. to figure out strategies to prevent these avoidable deaths if we find ourselves one day off the grid without modern medical supplies facilities professionals and and without choice right that's it you're stuck now as a physician and an aquaculturist someone who raises fish for uh food or pretty tilapia and in in the past (laughs) tropical fish of course uh, many years going back to when i was a kid really Mm -hmm. uh, we're perhaps in unique positions to speak on this topic now I've many times during my career prescribed antibiotics to patients who have bacterial infections, as that's my human patients. Now, yes, my have, fish patients, when have, they get thin right, rot. We have written, written appropriate prescriptions for people with bacterial infections, okay, right. not inappropriate prescriptions of antibiotics for people with viral infections. Right, which they we don't, were, we don't were do anything for. We were always very careful of that. Which they don't do anything for. Right. So, in my fish physician role <laughs> i mean i've used Honey, antibiotics the for fish is sick. <laughs> thin rod and other bacterial infections can also be treated with antibiotics and there are fish antibiotics that are meant for this purpose there of course are veterinary antibiotics for every animal so there are bird antibiotics and cat and dog antibiotics and horse antibiotics cow no, antibiotics right <laughs> for many years i didn't see any real need in my role as a fish doctor, I guess, <laughs> and a regular doctor to actually look at any veterinary antibiotics for human use. However, as we became interested in medical preparedness and became one of the first writers on this topic, uh, we realized that many deaths in survival settings could be avoided by the availability of antibiotics in the kit of the average person, the survival medic, exactly. for a family. But how do they get them since right. the doctor won't write? Well, let's talk about how uh, there was one event specifically that really piqued my interest, uh, that got me going mm-hmm. on this. And that was the History Channel 
show after Armageddon. Oh, I remember watching that with you. Right. Now, years ago. Right. In this program, many years ago, in this program, the Johnson family survived a pandemic and they're bugging out. Okay. They encounter a lot of obstacles on their way to survival, eventually uh, join a community. Mm-hmm. And the father injures himself doing some activity of I think daily it's just survival. in the kitchen. Yeah, I think it's so. Just in the kitchen cut himself cutting something, And right. just incurred a cut that became infected. Unfortunately, the town has run out of antibiotics. The tr- people who come to trade don't have any antibiotics. And this person, who actually was a paramedic and was the himself. medical person for the community, right. slowly died as a result of the spreading infection. Now, in my opinion, this was an absolutely useless death. Could have been avoided. Now, if the community had prepared by storing a sufficient supply of antibiotics beforehand, then this kind of death doesn't have to happen. But how does the average person put together a a quantity of antibiotics? Now, the article I read recommended getting human antibiotics from your doctor. And maybe your doctor would give you a prescription for 20 pills, but that would run out very quickly in a survival setting. Just with one infection. Right, and especially if you're You're responsible for a community. Right, if you're taking one antibiotic, typically um, you'll take an antibiotic two or three times a day, depending on which one it is and what dose, for seven days, maybe even ten days. So if you're taking it twice a day for ten days, there's your 20 pills. If you're taking it three times a day for seven days, you need 21 pills. So boom, it's gone. So you need a source of antibiotics that you can accumulate in quantity That's if right. you expect to run into a long-term collapse of the medical infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And by the way, don't expect your doctor to give you a prescription for 100 pills. No, even, not happening. Even a nice doctor, uh, he may not give you any if he doesn't <laughs> think you have a bacterial infection to treat. Right. I mean, this country has a lot of medical legal issues and, oh boy. and doctors don't want to get involved with that. Mm-mm. Now, understanding the need, we took a second look at some of the, the fish antibiotics. And I examined a product called Fishmox Forte. And this is fish medication. It contains, however, only one ingredient, amoxicillin 500 milligrams. Now, investigating further, I found that it was produced in two dosages, 250 milligrams and 500 milligrams, the same doses that are used in humans. So, hmm, hmm. I thought, why does my guppy need a human dose of amoxicillin? There were no instructions regarding the size of the aquarium, so nope. it was all the same whether you, the fish was in a half-gallon bowl or in a 200-gallon setup. So this got me interested and curious. you know. So I examined a sample of human amoxicillin, 500 milligrams, that was produced by Deva Pharmaceuticals, D-A-V-A, and compared it to a sample of Fishmox Forte, the 500-milligram version. And the human capsule was red and pink with the numbers and letters WC731 WC on it. And Fishmox Forte was a red and pink capsule with the numbers and letters WC731 on it. So I'm going to let mm. our audience make their own conclusions about that. Same pill. Ah, uh, that's not letting them make their own conclusions, but it's it was my very conclusion. logical. A very logical conclusion. Same isn't capsule. Aha. Uh-huh. From the same location. <laughs> right. Well, so we found a, a number of fish and bird antibiotics that met that criteria. It had only one ingredient, the antibiotic itself. There was nothing to make your scale shinier, uh, your feathers brighter. We found some in bird antibiotics. We mm-hmm. have parrots also. Uh, were only produced in human dosages, although they're meant for fish and birds. And not many of those hobbies are the size of a human. Thank God. Um, <laughs> were identical in appearance to antibiotics produced by at least one farm, human pharmaceutical company. 
and were available without prescription and could be bought in quantity. You could buy a thousand of these if you wanted to. And this is very simple, folks, to check out for yourself. Buy sure. a bottle of any fish antibiotic that we have on our list on our website at doomandbloom.net or in our book, The Survival Medicine Handbook. Check out any of those antibiotics. Buy one for yourself. Spend a few dollars. Open it up. Take the pill and go on drugs.com or some pill identification website. Put in the color of the capsule, the shape of it. Put the letters, the numbers, any markings on it whatsoever. And why don't you see what comes up? I promise you it will be a human antibiotic. This was verified by readers who worked in the pharmaceutical and veterinary industries that they were the exact same products taken right. from the same batches produced for humans. It wasn't true of all veterinary products. Some had additional ingredients that gave benefits to certain animals. Others were in larger doses, not advisable in humans. And as such, I don't suggest adding them to your medical storage. Now, you may ask, are these fish and bird antibiotics FDA approved? Of course not. They're marketed towards the pet industry, and what company is going to go out on a limb and say to take them? There may be little government oversight, but why would companies use the identical appearance and identification numbers if they're producing a different lower-grade product? It's simple enough to just use a different colored capsule. Now, could fish antibiotics be different in some way, even if they meet my criteria? Well, if so, the same could be said for human generic meds. They have to have the same active ingredients, absorption, elimination, but they can vary up to 20%. Yet, most generics are perfectly fine for human use. So, let's go back to the important question. Would the fish and bird antibiotics I write about be a useful addition to your survival medical storage? Some deaths may be unavoidable in a situation without rule of law, but does it make any sense not to have medicines that could possibly prevent an unnecessary death? Of course, you'll need to study antibiotics, their use and indications to be able to make a difference as a medic of a survival group. Antibiotics aren't something to use injudiciously, and veterinary antibiotics aren't any different. The overuse of antibiotics, as a matter of fact, that's the cause of an epidemic of antibiotic resistance we see today. 80% of these meds used in livestock and believe it or not, to speed growth, not to treat disease. Now, one last issue. The director of the CDC is talking about an increased stewardship of antibiotic availability in the U.S. Their aim is to prevent the spread of resistance. And as a result, I fully expect more regulation and less availability of fish and bird antibiotics to the average person. Matter of fact, in the future, I expect them to even look different for the pharmaceutical industry to stay out of trouble. And these changes are going to occur soon. If you can obtain antibiotics in quantity now, consider it for use in survival settings. Don't use them in times when doctors exist to prescribe standard medications for bacterial disease. They're just no good for anything else other than that. That's right. Be able to recognize bacterial infections to use them effectively. It's not always easy. Learn more, get them while you can, and you might save a life of a loved one in times of trouble. That's all the time we have for this week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Survival Medicine Hour with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Bye-bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.